Welcome to Kaplan's Learn Better podcast. My name is Stuart Pedley-Smith, Head of Learning at Kaplan here in the UK. In this series, you're going to hear from both students and experts as we take a look at a range of topics related to personal and career success in the world of accountancy and finance. We have a special treat today, two guests for the price of one, Abby Nolan and Kirsty Gibson. Abby and Kirsty both work in Kaplan's quality development and improvement team with expertise in inclusion and diversity, in particular neurodiversity, something that they both feel passionate about, which is fortunate because that's the subject of this podcast. Abby, Kirsty, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us, Stuart. Thank you. Before we find out a little bit more about sort of how you got interested in this area. Abby, can you tell us exactly what neurodiversity is? Because I think there'll be a lot of people out there that have certainly heard the expression, but they're not quite sure what it means. Neurodiversity is just essentially um, brain function. And if you're neurodivergent, it will be your brain functioning differently to those that we will call neurotypical. So essentially it is just cognition and brain function slightly different. What are the sort of disorders that we're talking about? So neurodiversity will be um, conditions like autism spectrum condition, Asperger's, dyslexia, dyspraxia, um, ADHD, anything that your brain will just process things, function just slightly differently to what we see as the normal, which I do put in quotation marks. (laughs) Yeah. Abby, thanks for that. Um, Kirsty, can I just ask you a couple of questions? One in particular about why this is such a big area and how you ultimately first got into it. For me, equality is everything. Um, I didn't start in education, um, but I started working in in the catering department of uh, a local learning difficulties hospital. There were huge wards with 30-plus young people all living in one ward and it really upset me and then I had the opportunity to go out and work in um, the development of group homes and being able to support people to be equal is my absolute goal in life. Um, I then went from working with people in their own homes into education and I have continued to strive for equal access to everything whether it's education life work and I will continue to do that till retirement and the the neuro the neurodiversity part of it is that something that interests you specifically or is it just the area that you're in now the neurodiversity interests me specifically. Um, I have family members who are dyslexic, um, my husband included, and my son included. I have worked within education for the past 13 years, and over the years I have seen the impact that small changes can make on people being able to access study and being able to access work with tiny, tiny changes in approaches. Because that's, I suppose that's the point, really, isn't it? Is that there is always this thing that if somebody has something that is different, they don't fit within the standard. You know, it's easy to see with physical disabilities where you can't walk up a set of stairs. 
and therefore, just sort of paraphrasing you really, to make them equal, you could build a ramp, right? But for, for neurological issues, that level playing field, it's, it's not always visible, is it? And, and there's so many assumptions that people can make about themselves because they aren't the same as everybody else. If, if you know, A physical disability is very easy to see, but a, a neurological disability is not so easy to see, or difference is not yeah. so easy to see. And even now, both Abby and myself still have conversations with students in their 20s who have gone through the education system and their dyslexia or neurodiversity hasn't been picked up Mm -hmm. and we still have those conversations where students say to us well I just thought I just thought it was me I just thought I couldn't learn I just thought I couldn't read I thought I was stupid yeah and that's a word you hear a lot and you really shouldn't just because you have a difficulty with one area of reading or processing for example doesn't mean to say that you can't do that thing you just need to approach it differently yes and i think that's a i think that's a a lovely metaphor for the whole of learning isn't it the idea that we're all on a spectrum in in a way aren't we of 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 kind of differences and, Absolutely. and we all co- we we you know and people come up with their own coping mechanisms either by accident sometimes and say well i I'm not very quick, so I have to do this to sort of, you know, I will have to read, you know, every meeting I have to read all the notes before I go to it, and then I'm fine in the meeting. Some people just seem to have to pitch up and they operate at a reasonably high level without doing anything. But that's, but everybody's doing something (laughs) to cope with their own, um, learning difficulties makes it sound too strong, but they're almost their own characteristics, isn't it? Yeah, and then their own neurodiversity. We always say to staff in training, the best way to find out how a learner learns best is ask. Right. They know their difficulty better than anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I ask, um, Abby, so neurodiversity is about, um, I suppose a different way your brain functions differently to somebody else but there might be people listening to this and they go well uh, that's definitely describing me my I, I definitely function differently to anybody else in your job and it's an open question as well Kirsty for you afterwards but firstly how can an individual tell what are there any characteristics and then how can you tell when you're talking to people or when you're speaking to them well each condition will be different um, for example, characteristics of dyslexia can be struggle with reading in terms of retaining the information, in terms of processing the information, or it could be the actual visual of the reading. You know, the letters might jump up. You might read things um, differently to what it's saying, so you're interpreting things differently. Or it might be with the writing, you might write letters backward, for example, or get words that are really similar mixed up, like cot or cat. And then if you're looking at somebody with um, autism spectrum condition, their main characteristics are around communication and interaction, whereas those with dyslexia, it is more cognition. Can you say some more about the autism spectrum condition? Because I think, you know, lots of people have have heard of dyslexia um, and ADHD. Um, but, But tell us a little bit more about that. 
Autism spectrum condition is exactly what it says. It's a spectrum condition. In with that is Asperger's as well. Some people may have heard um, the term Asperger's. Someone with Asperger's uh, is classed as being on the autistic spectrum as well uh, at the lower end of that. Someone with high functioning autism is someone who may have difficulties understanding social nuance, um, difficulties with understanding sayings or sarcasm, sayings such as it's raining cats and dogs, for instance. Um, we all know that it doesn't rain cats and dogs, but it's, it's definitely raining. Can I just say it's raining cats and dogs here now for it sure. Is, it's also <laughs> raining rather a lot here as well. But then it's it's North Yorkshire. It usually does. <laughs> so yeah, the understanding of sarcasm can be really difficult. Right. Uh, someone who is on the spectrum it may take things very literally. So anything that you say may be taken for what you say. There is no or little understanding of sarcasm. Some people do, some people don't. People have different uh, different understandings. Um, some people also find it difficult to interact socially. And often people will mimic social behaviour, finding that that must be acceptable because another person is doing it. So there are many things on on the autism spectrum that you'll find uh, that affect learning, those being one of them. So, for instance, if you're teaching to a class full of people and you're using sarcasm, that may have been taken very literally. Yes. So, for example, someone might say, so this evening I expect you to study all night on this particular unit. And if you're not studying until midnight tonight, then you're not working hard enough. The rest of the class may absolutely know. Do half an hour and then go and watch the television, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, a, you know, a bit of sarcasm, a bit of a joke, whereas the person with autism may then go away and study till one o'clock in the morning thinking, well, have I done enough yet? Yes, yeah, that's quite interesting. <laughs> and, and although I said, I mentioned ADHD, could you just... In a similar way, because I found that quite interesting, could you identify the characteristics of ADHD? Yeah. So, Stuart, do you are you aware of what ADHD stands for? Not really. Okay. So, it's Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Okay. So, ADHD is an issue around inattention, that might be inattention to a task or inattention to learning. Hyperactivity finds it difficult to remain still, difficult to remain on task, on focus, can find um, learning in, in long periods or working for long periods very difficult without breaks, fidgety, may fiddle with things quite a lot. Aren't all people a bit like that? Is that... Because some of those characteristics, you know, certainly I've had reflected to me when student, you know, I'm finding it hard to concentrate. Yeah. Um, I can't sit at, at my desk for long periods of time. Um, 
this, it's another spectrum, isn't it? I suppose there are it elements is. that people will recognise in, in themselves as well as others. I suppose. Yeah, and often uh, these difficulties co-occur with other difficulties, so yeah. it wouldn't be unusual to see someone with a dual diagnosis, for instance, so with ADHD and being on the autistic spectrum or have ADHD and a mental health condition can be quite um, co-occurring. And I suppose when two things are combined, the the impact becomes far greater, doesn't it? Because you, you might, you've got two, two aspects, you know, if you can't concentrate and you, and you've got dyslexia, they're two, they could be two big learning barriers then, couldn't they? Absolutely. Um, one 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 of those conditions is a, a huge barrier in itself. And going back to the point that you made, Stuart, about uh, well, we all have uh, a little bit of of that. We all have a little bit of inattention. Absolutely, yes, we do. Um, says Kirsty, sitting here fiddling with a pen. You know. <laughs> However, the point at which it becomes a difficulty is the point at which it begins to impact upon everyday life, yes. learning, work, life in general. Yeah. A um, nice way that I heard somebody describe their diagnosis, their ADHD, was they imagine their brain as being a train station. And whereas everybody else's brain would have all the trains coming in sort of um, on the same, on, on different tracks, but going into the same um station however they said that their brain is trains coming from all different directions and different speeds crossing crossing over onto tracks with everybody on the station trying to run on them once and i thought that was just quite a nice way of describing yeah. it because you can actually visualize it it's always good isn't it you know when i think when you watch a movie or something and it and it shows you what that person sees they, I don't know if they've been knocked out and they can't quite see and the vision's blurred it's kind of quite nice to have some way of as you've just said either visualizing what it feels like for others to understand what what the problem is in the first place absolutely and also um, with with uh, the autistic spectrum condition um sensory issues can play a huge part in the impacts upon a person some people have uh, sensory issues that they're very sensitive to noise light smell so that's why some of our learners might use noise cancelling headphones in an exam for example to just block out one sense so that they can concentrate on something else and that's quite an important point isn't it i think as well it's important to remember that with neurodiverse conditions it can also be in the opposite like it might work the other way around actually they want the sensory stimulations so i know some learners that can only do exams while listening to music or having a fan on in the background, something, something, something to stimulate them as well. So you have your characteristics, but what you've got to remember is it is a spectrum and they're all so personal, they're all so different. I think that brings us right back to the beginning of everyone is different. And if you want to know how a person learns best or takes in information best, ask them. Yes. Based on what you're saying, Kirsty, I like using the terminology of learning differences as opposed to yeah. learning disabilities as well, because it just makes you realise that, you know, it might not be a disability, like take autism spectrum condition. Autism spectrum condition isn't a specific learning difficulty. It is a neurodiverse condition. 
However, research suggests that around 50% of people with autism spectrum condition will have specific learning difficulties with that. Abby, can we just stick with your, um, you just gave a stat then. Mm-hmm. Sort of in terms of the country and then in terms of your role, what sort of percentages of those different uh, neurodiverse uh, characteristics do you see? Is, is dyslexia the, the biggest? or? So I think it's quite hard to get very um, accurate statistics. For autism spectrum condition, I think the latest statistic was about 1% to 2% of the population. Is that correct, Kirsty? think so yeah it's difficult but this was I remember the reason why we are saying it quite loosely is because this was in this was back in about 2019 or 2020 we couldn't find any up-to-date statistics from a reliable source with dyslexia we do know that it is about 10% of the population and will have dyslexia and we see that in Kaplan as well so out of all the learners that are on our radar so that have been referred to us that have declared an additional learning need um, or difference or difficulty. 40, about 44% of those have dyslexia, which is by far the biggest learning difference that we have altogether. Underneath that is um, medical, which is about 9%. And then underneath that is mental health. With autism um, spectrum condition and Asperger's, it's about 4%. So they do kind of correlate with our statistics with the population as a whole as well. Mm. So what is it? How does somebody, what makes them contact you or how do they get to you in terms of have they identified a problem and when, when do you come into play, so to speak? So if I was a student, how would I get to talk to either of you? Um, there's a couple of different ways. So ideally, learners will declare it on their application form. Now, I say ideally, that's only so we can capture that information straight away and so we can start putting things in place should they need it straight away. If they don't declare it in their application process, it might be the case that if they're an apprentice, their talent coach will recognise it or they'll declare it to the talent coach or it might be their tutors or client services. In that case, what will then happen is that those people within Kaplan, so it'd be their tutors, talent coach, client services, student services, student experience, they will then make a referral to our team. And that's a Google form. Now, that has to be done with the learner's consent. Nobody would ever you know, pass on this information without the learner's consent. And then that information filters through to our tracker, where myself and Kirsty will get tagged, and then we will book a call in with that learner. If they don't declare it or say if they are a qualification only student, so they're not an apprentice, we also have an inbox. Now, this is for SA qualification only. This might be because it might not have direct contact with people in Kaplan. So if they are an on-demand student, they don't have a talent coach because they're qualification only, they don't have a tutor. They can email the ALS inbox, which is als at kaplan.co.uk. That's for staff as well. And um students that are maybe looking to study at Kaplan but don't know how we can support them and apprentices so that is an inbox as a whole that learners can get in touch with us. Kirsty you've you've worked in other organisations how do people find out about this in other businesses? In in a similar way really in terms of colleges universities usually the information is captured on enrolment but there are always learners that either don't see themselves as having a difficulty or disability 
or they don't want to declare that because they think it might have an impact upon their studies or their work. Uh, workplaces usually have a similar capturing method. So when you are employed by a company, there's usually a set of questions that will ask if you have a disability or a difficulty. Uh, more so now, I think, with the learning difficulty side of things, that wasn't something that was regularly asked for. But I think now companies are getting more on board with recognising learning differences and actively seeking mm. to support that person in their employment. So is, is there an assumption that somebody's already spotted this and it's been picked up through the school system? Because, yeah, you both said it's put on the form when you come to us. Is there... There is an assumption that at some point something has been picked up. However, mm. that is not always the case at all uh, we find that learners often go through the education system having not been diagnosed mm. with something a diagnosis is quite a difficult thing to get to to get a diagnosis of either autistic spectrum condition or adhd that process would start through a gp and because of the pressures of the systems at the moment, uh, the waiting lists are huge in terms of referrals from GPs to um, educational psychologists or, say, for example, CAMS, which is Children and Adults Mental Health Services. Uh, that's how most people would start with a diagnosis for ADHD or autistic spectrum condition, and that can be years. And what what about dyslexia, which is the commonest one? Do, do you get a diagnosis for that? Yes. So, again, um, getting a, a formal diagnosis is quite difficult. More often than not, schools don't provide a formal diagnosis, and it's something that people have to go down the road of paying for, which it it's quite expensive, somewhere between 450 and 750 pounds. It really is quite an, an expense. Um, generally, schools don't need a diagnosis to put things in place for learners, such as exam access arrangements, because the processes are quite different in schools to here at Kaplan, for example, where we're mm. working with different awarding bodies at different levels. So because there's no requirement for that formal diagnosis to put things in place at school schools generally don't have the ability to be able to provide that full diagnostic mm. assessment mm. and Abby just coming back to you for a second so we've looked at the characteristics if you are diagnosed either formally or informally what can you do and I'm thinking specifically here in terms of learning what what are there tools or mental strategies or physical things you can use on your computer that can make life easier? And I keep coming back to your thing, Kirsty, about equalising the playing field, which is what you're trying to do, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think this is why getting a diagnostic, getting a full diagnosis is really important as well, because they will state provisions that will help that person specifically. So it might be assistive technology, so there are things like ReadWrite, which um, I'm having an immersive reader on it. There's Adobe Read Aloud, which will read your documents for you, your PDFs, which is really useful. So it helps you listen to the information as well as reading it. Um, you can speed up the 
voice you can put um different accents onto it I think within when I say different accents I don't mean like Yorkshire to Geordie but you can do like (laughs) (laughs) you can do your um like American or English so you can have a little play around with it and there's things like um Color Veil which is really good they are essentially your electronic overlays so an overlay is in the physical form a cellophane sheet and there'll be different colors and it helps people that have Erlen syndrome or dyslexia read and read the information and process the information so if like a lot of people that have dyslexia if they are experiencing letters jumping having the um, colored overlay will help that just keep the mm. keep the words and the sentences straight so color bell is electronic version of that with more than just assistive technology there are things like you know having the early access to material if you are somebody that has to reread information quite a lot of times, obviously you are then at a disadvantage compared to your peers because you have to take more time reading the content to be able to comprehend and process the information. Um, subtitles to videos and transcripts, podcasts, things like that can really help. Again, it's different ways of processing the information. And what, what about the examining bodies? How... Uh, how does that work in practice do do they ask for a formal diagnosis and and what do they offer in terms of the exam and in particular now um i can still remember that they used they used to print a large exam paper for people who got visual difficulties um but now you know everything's online to a certain extent what what do they do if you get diagnosed or a confirmed diagnosis, or if not, you have, I suppose if you're not, you haven't paid your four or five hundred pounds, you, you're just saying, I believe I am. What, 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 how does that bit work? Each examining body um, will be slightly different, but mostly you will need a full diagnostic. Um, some of them, for example, SEMA has to be done within the last three years. For ICAW, it has to be a full 16 post adult diagnostic. So you will need a full diagnostic report. That That's a paid for. You have to have the paid for. Yeah, you have to have the paid for. Um, so I know CABA, C-A-B-A, CABA, mm-hmm. they will help some students with getting the diagnostic tool as well. So, and it's always worth coming to us, email us at the ALS inbox or reach out to us directly. We can give you advice on where to get the diagnostic. But to get any exam access arrangements in place, you do need the full diagnostic report. And what the examining bodies will usually do is they will give the access arrangements that are stated on your diagnostic report. So, for example, 25% extra time for your exams. It might suggest rest breaks or having a scribe or a reader. Right. So if people are listening to this who who aren't with Kaplan, um, is there any national association uh, you know, you mentioned Cabo would be able to help. Where would people go just in the in a normal, you know, not not registered with a, a provider or anything like that, but they suspect they might have ADHD or they might have, uh, they might be on the autism spectrum? With dyslexia, we always recommend the British Dyslexia Association. There is so much information on there in terms of um, dyslexia itself, so characteristics, support, groups, as well as the assessment. So there's different types of assessment. You can get a work needs assessment, and that's usually just to give provisions for the workplace. So it's usually not sufficient evidence for applying for extra time for professional exams. 
but then it'll give you more information on your diagnostics. And is that is that self serve? You can just go on. They give you a test of some description, and it gives you a, it gives you feedback. No. So if you get in a full diagnosis, you will have to book in for a diagnosis, which will be with a specialist tutor or a educational psychologist, and it will be half a day, pretty much. I think it ranges from about two to four hours, and um, maybe a bit more. Where they'll do a lot of little tests. Like they'll test your recall, um, your working memory, things like that. But you can do, there are a lot of checklists that you can do out there. Like we always send, if a learner suspects they have dyslexia, we will send them a dyslexia checklist. It's by no means a diagnostic, but what it does is just give you a general idea of whether it's likely you have dyslexia or not. With ADHD and autism spectrum condition, as Kirsty said, it has to be done through a GP. So you have to, the GP has to make a referral. Um, you can then get diagnosed privately, but the GP will have to refer you. There's a scheme at the minute called the Right to Choose, and it's um, through Psychiatry UK. And what you can do is if you speak to your GP to make a referral because you think that you have ADHD or autism spectrum condition, then what you can do is go through Psychiatry UK where you'll get diagnosed privately, but it'll be funded by the NHS. So it means that you might just be able to get a diagnosis quicker than if you just got put on the waiting list through the NHS. Mm. Look, we, we're coming to the end. Thank you. Um, I'm going to see if I can summarise some of what we've discussed. So neurodiversity is the idea that all humans vary in terms of, I suppose, their, I suppose their cognitive abilities or their neurocognitive ability. So it's the brain can, works differently, but we're all on a we're all on a spectrum to a certain extent of our brains working differently. There are several different disorders, but the most common one that you guys have come across is dyslexia. Identification can really help in terms of knowing um, more about yourself, but perhaps more importantly, getting the right treatment and the right support. And uh, Something really is that this is this is an ordinary part. I don't know. There's something in the conversations we've had that this is, this is. There's nothing wrong, or there's nothing to be ashamed of. That Absolutely. this is just you know, it's it's a part of of, of everybody. Is it's is there anything you, you want to add to that, or, or or you know, one last thought that you think that you, a key message? Well, like everybody has differences, and differences should be celebrated. You know, diversity is a really good thing, and you know you you more likely because you're neurodiverse you might think of things differently you might be more creative you might be able to solve problems differently so actually a lot of employers are looking for people that are neurodiverse because it is different mm. and you, your point about employers is quite important there the, you know that mm-hmm. yeah group think is is a dangerous thing for organizations where everybody agrees and and having different people thinking different things is a good idea Kirsty, have you mm-hmm. got any final thoughts? Yeah, it, just on your point there about group thinking and people coming from different directions is exactly what employers want, particularly now in our current workforce. To have a difference of opinion, to have a different angle, a different approach to a team makes a more rounded team. And you've already you've already mentioned a couple of resources. Is there anything else? Is there any books or anywhere else that you think people would go? Or do you think that the sites that you mentioned before are probably the main ones 
National Artistic Society offers uh, an awful lot of advice on um, autism and Asperger's, both in terms of learners, workplace, teachers, students. It comes from a lot of different angles and gives a lot of good advice. Also, there are a lot of YouTube channels out there from uh, young people who are on the spectrum, young people who have dyslexia. It's always worth going and having a look what's out there and exploring for yourself and trying to understand other people's angles. That's a really interesting one. Abby, Kirsty, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you for listening to Kaplan's Learn Better podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. And don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts to help more people find us. Let's continue the conversation. Follow us on social at Kaplan UK and let us know what you would like to hear discussed on future episodes.